something is about to happen. I saw one person almost running out of the auditorium. Yeah. Uh, there's a kind of noise that it makes, boom, when uh, um, we had a little power issue while the song was going on. Uh, so they had to repair um, everything. So don't be afraid. Um, if you hear any noise, there's no problem. It's the AC is firing on. Praise God. I said, Praise God. I want to help me look at your neighbor, smile at them, and let them know you care. Say it in your own word. You can say, I care. Yeah. Just, just tell them, I care about you. I just saw a woman leveraging that to just rob her husband. Care, care. Please, I, I didn't say you should do that if you don't know the person. That's not part of it. Just a smile to say, I care about you. Praise God. I said, praise the Lord. You know, for someone here this morning, God has been saying that so loudly, as if he's been saying it with a megaphone to you, but you are refusing to hear it. And that's why God said to tell you this morning. Yeah. And I know that it it won't be that effective if I just... If I'm just saying it from here like that. So one more time. Everybody in this auditorium must hear it. One more time. I want you to help me look at somebody. Smile at them. If you have done left before, it's time to do right. Yeah. And say, I care about you. Some people are afraid to tell a stranger, I care about you. But one thing you need to understand is that God is only using your mouth this morning to say it. Yeah. God is only using your mouth to say it. Because God is telling somebody here this morning, I don't know who you are, but God is telling you this morning, and you need to hear it from him, that he cares about you. He cares about your family. He cares about your life right now. And you must not leave this service still feeling worthless, still feeling uncared for, still feeling deserted. Because God wants you to know It doesn't matter what your spouse is saying or what your boss at work is saying or what your siblings are saying. Anyone at all. I don't know who you are, but God wants you to know that he cares about you. Maybe you haven't even heard this this year. Nobody has told you this year that he cared about you. But God said to tell you that he cares about you. He cares about you so much. He really can do anything for you. Now, the person I'm talking about may be finding it difficult to appropriate it to yourself because you may even be thinking that if he really cares about me and he can do anything for me, how come he has not done this, that, and that? And God said, it's not about all that. It's about you first. You understanding that I care about you. You knowing that I'm thinking about you because I really want to get your attention. Yeah. God cares about you so much. He can do anything for you. And you know the good thing about God? The Bible says the keeper of Israel, he never sleeps nor slumber. Yeah. Your best friend can go on holiday. Even your pastor can go on holiday. But God doesn't go on holiday. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't go on holiday. He cares about you affectionately. He watches over you passionately. And as you start to internalize what God is telling you this morning, you're going to start to see the effect of it. Because it's going to affect your attitude and it's going to affect how you see yourself and the situations around you. You're going to start to see the hand of God like never before in Jesus' precious name. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you step into a new week from today. 
the blessing of God rest upon you. Everywhere you show up this week, God will show up. You will feel his presence like never before. In the precious name of Jesus. I pray that every encounter that you will have this week will be an encounter with divine presence. God will turn things around for your good. Uh, I know for somebody, you're still booting because it's still early in the morning for you. Maybe you're not a, a morning person. But it's not too early to receive a blessing. Am I saying the truth? I said it's not too early to receive a blessing. So I pray in the name of Jesus that for someone here this week, you have an encounter with God. Where there has been confusion, I pray for you divine wisdom. That will give you divine direction. Somebody here needs strategy this week to come out of a situation. God is giving you wisdom and strategy. You will know exactly what to do to come out of that situation. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Somebody who just got a a disturbing news. I pray this week that over that same situation, God will turn sorrow to joy. In the precious name of Jesus. Somebody who has a deadline or a threat. I declare in the name of Jesus, God is turning your deadline to a lifeline. Whatever it takes to go beyond that situation, this week, God is coming true for you. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Somebody shout a believing amen. Let's appreciate Jesus today. Appreciate Jesus. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. If you've not been around for a while, can I quickly bring you up to speed? We've been discussing on God's heartbeat, which is souls. So we've been speaking around soul winning and touching the heart of God and becoming a kingdom addict, somebody who believes in the kingdom of God and who wants to be a part of the expansion of God's kingdom. Our first text that we took at the beginning of this teaching series, which we have tagged Star Witness, we took from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1 and verse 8. And you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses, Scripture says, witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and to the hands of the earth. So the, 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 the primary purpose of the indwelling presence of, of the Holy Spirit is to make us witnesses. The Holy Spirit wants to walk in us, inside out, and turn us to the person that God has created us to be and help us to function as a witness for God. Now remember, we also emphasize the fact that many Christians see themselves differently from the way we should see ourselves. And that's that when you look at the concept of the law court, You have the judge. Without the judge, there can't be a sitting. Yeah. When judges are on vacation, the legal system shuts down. Yeah. Without the judge, there can't be a sitting. The Bible calls God the judge of all. So God is the judge. We also need an advocate. And Jesus, the Bible says, is now seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for the saints. He is the advocate, the go-between, the paraclete who stands in between us and God and advocates on our behalf. You also need 
The accuser. In the book of Revelation, the devil is called the accuser of brethren who accuses us day and night before God. But for you to be able to win your case, for the advocate to be able to advocate properly, the advocate needs a witness. And the place for you and I is to be the witness. With all those four things being in place, the legal proceeding can start. Am I saying the truth? And the spiritual realm is legal. Everything that's going on there is, you know, it's like a legal proceeding. We have people in the world today who are living with a heavy load of guilt, condemnation, because the accuser of the brethren has successfully condemned them. Because nobody is witnessing. Nobody is saying, this is what happened. This is what Christ has done. This is why this person should be discharged and acquainted. This is why this person should not go to hell. This is why this family should not, you know, go into destruction. This is why this life should enjoy a new lease on life. This is why somebody should live a happy life. That's our job. We need to understand that we are not the judge. Some people want to advocate for God or for other people. Jesus is the advocate. All that God wants from us is to say what we have experienced, what we have seen. Just declaring what we have experienced, what we have seen as witnesses. A case can be so smooth if you have really good witnesses. Yeah, with serious proof. I was there, I saw this. You know the man that Jesus healed, who was blind from birth? When they came, the accuser of brethren, when they came, all this guy had to say is that whether the man is evil or not, I don't know. The only thing that I know, before I was blind, now I can see. And he's my healer. And if he can heal me, then I know. He has more in store for me. So I would rather follow him than follow you who have been looking at me like this for long. And all you know is to claim, to, to, you know, to, to say this is what is written in the law. I'm not interested in the law. I just want my healing. And I have it, so I follow him. Yeah. It was very simple. Jesus healed the madman of Gadara. And the man wanted to follow him. Jesus said no. Don't bother about that. Go and tell your family members what you have seen today. Yeah. That you have been blessed. You have been healed. Just go and tell your family members what you have seen today. Jesus met uh, the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. And spoke to her. Told her about her life. The Bible says the woman left the place. Went into the city. and Was telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything about my life. Perhaps he's the Messiah. You need to see him. And the Bible says a lot of people went and met with Jesus and received the gospel. That is the work of the witness. So when he says, and he gave us the great commission, go into the world and make disciples of all nations, it's beyond, it's little step beyond just witnessing to making disciples. But the first step in making disciples is to at least first and foremost be a witness. Is somebody still with me today? I said, are you still here today? 
Can you help me tap your neighbor and tell them, are you a witness? God wants you to be a witness. Tell your neighbor, you are not a judge. Neither are you the advocate. And you are not the accuser of the brethren. You are a witness. Be a witness. Be a star witness. Glory be to Jesus. We continue this teaching series with a message that I titled Vira. Contagious Christianity. That's what we're talking about. Vira. How do we make our Christianity Vira? A contagious one. The one that, you know, that is attractive. Because true Christ-like ministry or service is very attractive. So we're going to be unpacking how Jesus went about, you know, his own life of evangelism or reaching out. Because there was something, there were definite mindset, definite attitude that made his attempt very successful. Made it very attractive. Made it a blessing. And I think if we can follow his format, we'll get better results. We'll get better results. In fact, it's looking at his format that gave the understanding of what our position should be. Many of us today have considered ourselves to be judges. Some have taken the place of the devil as the accuser of the brethren. Yeah. And it's in our bid to make people better. Yeah. But we need to take the rightful position that God has given us, which is to be a witness. And for you to witness effectively, the first thing that you need to understand this morning is that you have to be selfless in your approach. You have to be selfless. The salt doesn't salt itself. The flavor is not meant for the salt. How many people here can eat salt? Just eating it. The salt can find no expression for itself until it is impacted on something else. Am I saying the truth? And Jesus said, we are the salt of the heart, not the salt of the church. Because some people think coming to church is enough. It's not. It's not enough. We are not the salt of the church. We are the salt of the heart. We only come to church to remind ourselves, to reinvigorate ourselves, to energize ourselves, to charge ourselves up like we charge up the battery of our devices so the, the device can function all through the day. What happens to a device when you keep it on the charging port forever? It can't fulfill its destiny. It's just there. Some people have been charging now since they got saved. The kingdom has not seen any impact from you. You know, always running to the charging port. And you feel that is enough. It's not enough. Not by any chance. Not by any chance. Some of us have thrown away devices before because they charge for a long time. Am I saying the truth? And you start complaining. This phone takes five hours to charge. And I checked it and it was just 35%. This is frustrating. That's how God feels about some of us. Yeah. Because we are too self-centered. You run from one prayer meeting to the other. You know, this, that, that, that. And all you're thinking about is yourself. 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 And God says, think about what bothers my mind and what bothers my heart. Touch lives. Touch souls. Bring people to the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things shall be added unto you. Say amen, somebody. Amen. It's extremely important. Jesus was, you know, not missing word about his mission. In Luke 19 and verse 10, 
The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Period. Very straightforward verse of the scripture. This is the mission. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Yeah. If you ask Jesus, what is this all about? Seek and save the lost. Simple. Just seek and save the lost. That's the most, the uppermost thing on his mind. If he doesn't have a right position on your own mind, you're not mindful of what is important to him. Son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. And we need to follow that Jesus' model if we're going to live a life of impact and especially a life that you can call a life of a kingdom addict. A life of contagious Christianity. Many years ago, I read a book which came to mind as I was preparing to preach this message. Very important book that has impacted my life and the way I see life and why things should not be left to being mysterious. Many of us may have read books written by the same author, uh, the author Malcolm Gladwell, who used to be a New York Times uh, reporter and then turned a very successful author. He's written several books uh, that business people read. Um, I've read uh, three or four of his books, Outliers, uh, Tipping Point, David and Goliath, and several others. But in Tipping Point, Gladwell wrote about how you can make an epidemic happen. Tipping points about the fact that everything that we see today that are stable, they only require a little bit of force. There's a point you get to that you don't have to put any force again. This thing will drop by itself. Am I saying the truth? See, it's my hand that's holding it right now. This is the tipping point for this pulpit. When you shift it to a particular point, you don't need to do anything again. It falls. Yeah. And things can be moved to a tipping point. That when it tips, it just... Yeah. In his book, he wrote about, I think in chapter one, about how to make an epidemic happen. He spoke about connectors, mavens, and salesmen. Yeah. And it's uh, uh, um, a very, very, um, very important part of it. I'll read something from page 19 on the chapter called The Rules, Three Rules of Epidemic. Three Rules of Epidemics, page 19, um, the last paragraph. It says, for example, uh, I once did an analysis of gonorrhea epidemic in Colorado Spring, Colorado, looking at everyone who came to the public health clinic for treatment of the disease over the space of six months. Said if, uh, we found out that about half of all the cases came essentially from four neighborhoods representing about 6% of the geographical area of the city. Half of those six, half of those in the 6%, in turn, were socializing in the same six bars, pubs. So this was a gonorrhea epidemic localized to 6% of the people, Six pubs or bars and just 6% of the population. 
If you read this book, you understand better that to make an epidemic happen, you need connectors, you need Melvins, and you need salesmen. Jesus' concept is very simple. And this guy, being you know, an anthropologist or whatever you want to call him, uh, is able to get into, from science point of view, how things actually happen in our world, demystifying epidemics. You need sneezers to make cold viral. God forbid if somebody has been sneezing badly beside you. It's an involuntary action. They didn't plan for, to come into this service this morning and be sneezing. If they could stop, they would have stopped. But if care is not taken, there can be a viral infection. Am I saying the truth? That's how it happens. That's how it happens. Jesus wants us to be connectors for God. If you want to change your society, all you need is a critical mass. Just like what Gladwell was saying in his book, it's just a little number, just a few people who can transmit and not do it haphazardly, but be committed to it. Yeah. Be committed to it. And they know where to go. You know, like he said here, just six pubs or bars, 6% of the population, and there was a gonorrhea epidemic. So those people were socializing in the same place. But they are very strong connectors. Some of them were meeting like meeting was going to come to an end. Six, seven people in a day. And they were passed. And before you know it, a whole city was ravaged by an epidemic. The same thing today, if we want to be serious about the message of the gospel, we need to become extremely contagious. Jesus was extremely contagious in his days. Mark chapter 2, I refer from verse 15, 16, and 17. Mark chapter 2, verse 15, 16, and 17. Now it happened, as he was dining in Levi's house, and look at it very well, who is Levi? That many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus went to the house of Levi, a tax collector, who ordinarily will have his own kind of people to come around him. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. That place, while, while they were eating and drinking, is like the pub that was mentioned in that research. Because there's a kind of people who come there. They are mervins or connectors. People of influence who can spread this thing fast. Very fast. 
make it to go viral. Many of us have, I'm going to get into it in a bit, platforms, influence. We use it for every other thing apart from the gospel. And that's why our message is not going viral. The reason why the popular culture is still prevailing against Christianity today is because the people promoting popular culture are supposed to be promoting something else. There are many Christians who see you, their platforms, in promotion of popular culture, and yet they don't do anything about promoting the gospel with their platforms. From this passage of the scripture that we read, we can deduce a few things. One is that Jesus accepted everybody. Everybody. To make the gospel go viral, we have to deal with our mindset of segregation. You can't want to create an epidemic and say, you can come and get you. You can come, you know. An epidemic happens when you spread things. Yeah. You spread. And to be able to spread things effectively you must have a mindset of acceptance. Jesus had that mindset. So he associated with the bad boys and girls of his time. Everybody. Tax collectors, sinners. Everybody. In, in, uh, in Luke chapter 7, verse 34 and 35, you can put that up for me, Luke, Luke 7, 34 and 35. Uh, um, the Bible says, The Son of Man has come, eating, drinking, and you say, Jesus was speaking there, you say, look, a gluten and a wine biber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Verse 35 says, but wisdom is justified by all our children. That's the result that I get from what I do. Justifies what I'm doing. That's what Jesus was saying. Yeah. Because I know where I'm supposed to go. I know who I'm supposed to be speaking to. I know I must accept people if this thing will go viral. If it will go viral. Jesus loved people. He loved people. He associated with the bad boys and bad girls. He, he, he did, you know, everything that is possible. Give me verse 36 of that same Luke chapter 7. Let's read verse 36 of it. Verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Let's go on. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, verse 38, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair on her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. <laughs> Pharisee? <laughs> Verse 40. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, he picked what Simon was thinking. Uh, uh, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One hold 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. 
Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I, sus- I suppose the one who will forgive more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she had washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman had not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. I can go on and on and on. How Jesus, you know, spoke about this woman and what she did. And this was a woman that society has said she's a sinner. Yeah. Jesus loved everybody. Accepted everybody. Are you accepting everybody? Do you love everybody? Are you sure of the potency of what you carry? Some people say the reason why I will not associate with uh, uh, sinners is because I don't want them to contaminate me. Yeah. Have you seen salt running away from stew before? To say, I don't want this soup to contaminate me. So let me stay in the jar. When you know what you carry and the potency of what you carry and you are sure of your Christianity and you know that you are not in this for joke, you are in this for impact, you don't run away from contact. Are you still with me today? You don't run away from contact. Yeah. I know there's a level somebody can be where you are still managing yourself and your Christianity to create stability for yourself. But the moment you have an assurance of salvation, you know why you are in this, you know what God stands for in your life, then you should know that you are the salt of the heart and the light of the world. Yeah. You can't light a candle and put it under the, the, the table. You put it, you know, on the candle stand so that it can light the whole house. The moment you keep keeping your light under the table, your light will lose its intensity and darkness will overshadow it. That's why when you get into a place, know that you are a sneezer. You don't, a sneezer doesn't, doesn't plan to sneeze. Yeah. It just, it's involuntary. You get into a place, sit down. Jesus is Lord. Glory. <laughs> and everybody's still wondering. They're trying to recover from that. You have said something else. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. And when they see how good looking you are, they know that you are okay. It's not that anything is wrong with you. They see you beaming with smile. They know it's not because you have a problem they are calling Jesus. So people don't remember Jesus until the car is about to crash. That's the problem. Until something is going wrong. Hey, Jesus. No. You, you, you get into a place and say, God is good. Somebody is wondering that somebody is saying God. Yes. God is good. It's good to me. Just say it like the blind man who say, I don't know what you are saying. Only thing I know is, before I was blind, now I can see. Say, God has truly really been good to you. You need to be able to say it. That's how we create an epidemic. Jesus was not, you know, he went to the places, the place where, what we call in this part of the country, where Ogolobos are. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. People that can make things happen. People that can that if something, if this thing really lands in their heart, they're going to spread it. So Jesus was rolling with high-class sinners. Because if they were very good like that as sinners, if the Holy Ghost comes into their heart, they will be fantastic. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah? Yeah. Was rolling with tax collectors. In these days, tax collectors were chief sinners. They were certified sinners. People were committed. 
to sinning. He went after them. Not half as hard ones. Because that's the same way they will handle the gospel. Yeah. And he didn't care what people said about him. Rolling around them. Yeah. Can you imagine? Just playing your mind a little bit. Your pastor sitting down. And one woman. Who has been a very good sinner. A very good alert. Just comes wiping on my feet. You know and all that. Even you. Hey. They have come. You want to corrupt our pastor? Am I not saying the truth? So you could imagine the reaction of Jesus' disciples and the Pharisees there. In fact, the one who was thinking, ah, this man should know that this woman is not a worshiper of God, it's a sinner. Yeah. A popular sinner in the city will become a popular witness if something happens to them. That's why Jesus will not allow, let it be. Glory be to God. It's extremely important. Jesus went to the house of Zacchaeus, another sinner. Met him once on the tree. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. Today, I will be in your house. What are we doing with sinners around us? Are we judging them, rejecting them, probing their motives, speaking to them and telling them they will go to hell? That's not the gospel. That's the voice of the accuser. You know the only reason why somebody will go to hell? Just simply that they rejected, they've rejected grace. And they've rejected the message of salvation. They've rejected the gift of righteousness. Yeah. That's all. So, we can't keep telling them they'll go to hell. We need to introduce to them the gift of righteousness. If they have it, they're saved. Glory be to Jesus. I said glory be to Jesus. It's also important to note that Jesus did not discriminate. The woman at the well in John chapter 4 and verse 7 came, like I said before, and Jesus, the woman was even saying, how come you, a Jew, talking to me, a Samaritan? And the woman said, I mean, Jesus said, it's not about Jew or Samaritan. God is the God of all. And they spoke to this woman. We live in a country right now where it's speech and um, tribal uh, uh, bigotry is, is, you know, gaining ground. And we need to do something about it because it's not kingdom culture. Not kingdom culture. In the kingdom of God, there's no, there's no Alsa or Igbo or Yoruba or Efik or Niger Delta. We are one. Um, can I get an amen to that? Yeah. Yeah, we are one. We are one. And anybody that's saying anything contrary to that does not have the spirit of God. Yeah. I don't care what cause the person is fighting for. Doesn't have the spirit of God. Yeah. We are one in Christ. We are one in Christ. Praise God. So preach to anybody. Influence anybody. That's what the gospel stands for. He loved them and showed compassion. Jesus helped the sick and the needy. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, the Bible says, How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So he helped the sick. He, he, he welcomed uh, children. He said, suffer not the little children to come to me, for theirs is the kingdom. He didn't judge them. A woman was even caught in adultery in John chapter 8, when you read from verse 3 to 7. The woman caught in adultery. Jesus looked at this woman who was caught in adultery, and all Jesus said was, after the accusers are gone, he said, where are your accusers? And he said, uh, um, they are all gone. He said, neither do, do I accuse you or condemn you. 
go and sin no more. Jesus was, you know, very, very straightforward about how he handled people who were supposed to be condemned. People who were, oh, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. They didn't have CCTV. It wasn't that they were watching it. They saw her. And the only problem was, though, they only caught the woman. Wicked men, they allowed the man to run away. Because a woman cannot be doing it alone. Yeah. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. That's, human beings have always been very hypocritical about situations. It was only the woman they brought to Jesus. I thought they would bring man and woman. That we caught both of them in adultery. Women, God will bless you. Yes. I said, women, God will bless you. And every weapon fashioned against women will not prosper. Because when you read this passage of the scripture in the Bible, you know that women have suffered. Especially in the hands of men. Because these were men who brought her to Jesus. They allowed their own person to escape. In fact, the guy will land at the pub and they will be saying, Ah, oh boy, you are though. Am I not saying the truth? Yeah, that's what happens. God will help us. In the precious name of Jesus. So Jesus didn't judge them. He prayed for them. He met them. Met their needs. That's what he did. He fed the, 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 the needy. Feeding 5,000, feeding 2,000. He turned water to wine. The wedding at Cana of Galilee. Just to create uh, um, goodness and merriment. He was there to meet needs. He healed and delivered people. And much more than that, he taught them in interesting and practical ways. In Mark 12 and verse 37, the B part, the Bible says, Common people had him gladly. Common people had him gladly. Gladly. Jesus was very practical. He spoke a lot of parables, things that people could relate with. He made things very practical. When you talk about the gospel, are you just talking about, you know, Armageddon and, uh, you know, the apocalypse? Yeah. We can discuss that as Christians. But unbelievers, they don't need apocalypse. Yeah. What they need is that they want forgiveness for sin. They want condemnation to be dealt with. They want God to take guilt from their heart. Somebody is having panic attack, anxiety attack. Don't add a Armageddon to it. Yeah. Make the, make the message very practical that they can understand it and they can run with it. I was in a bus once, many, many years ago, and a brother was preaching. As a Christian, I had to restrain myself because I wanted to stand up and say, brother, sit down. Which one, which part of the gospel says that people who palm their hair will go to hell? Because it was pointing at people's head like this. Sinners, sinners, you are going to hell. See, ah! I, I just felt like this would not be good for two Christians to be fighting in a bus. Yeah. It was, it was a long time ago. I said, this will not be good. Because I really wanted to stand up and say, brother, please, sit down. Sit down. This is not the gospel. This is not the gospel. Jesus didn't go about it this way. Glory be to Jesus. As a round off today, two things that I wanted to go with that are extremely important. One, 
is that Jesus had the attitude of persistence. If you forget everything I've said, I don't want you to forget this too. Jesus had the attitude of persistence. He had a sense of urgency because he knew the time was short. Do you have such sense of urgency towards your family members who are not saved, your colleague at work who is not saved, your neighbor who is not saved? Do you have the same sense of urgency about reaching out to them? Jesus said, the harvest is plenty, the laborers are few. He said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he may send laborers into his harvest. That's to to preserve the harvest because the time is, is very short. Secondly, and last one, he was compelling. Jesus was compelling. In Luke chapter 4, 14, when you read from verse 15 to, 20, to 24, Jesus was at a supper with his friends and he said to tell the story, the parable of the great supper. He said, a man threw a party and then told uh, his friends to come. He invited his friends. One, people decided giving excuses. One said, I just married a wife. I can't come. One said, uh, I just uh, bought yokes of oxen and I want to go and try them. So one says, I just bought land. I've not seen it. I want to go and see it. All of them were at the level of fulfillment or the other. They gave excuses. Jesus said, the man said, he called the servant and said, go out. Go and look for people. The poor, the maimed, you know, the blind, bring them in that my banquet may be full. When they did that, the place was still not full. Then he gave the last one. He said, go to the highways and the edges and compel them to come in. And that's the most instructive part of that parable. Compel them to come in. Compel them to come in. The word compel there is very instructive. In the Greek, it's anakazo. That's the, the, the Greek word for that. And it says it means to necessitate, to drive, to constrain by all means, such as force, threats, persuasion, and entreaties. To constrain by all means. He said including force. That's what compel means. Because some of us, we, we've lost that mindset about sitting on people's neck. To bring them to the kingdom. The unbelievers who are influencing them, that's what they do. They make it very conducive. I will come and pick you for the party. When was the last time you went to pick anybody for church? And you know when you are in the world, you fill people with your car. Some of you are still doing it, even now. Drive them to a party all night to waste themselves. When was the last time you compelled anybody to come to church? And you say you love them. And you know that some of them are carrying a truckload of guilt on their neck. Jesus said, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know the arrest is in Christ. But yet you are not doing anything to compel, to persuade, to force, to entreat. Because it's everything. That's an castle. Compel them to come in. And it was until they compelled them to come in that the house of that man was full. Do you want the kingdom of God to be populated? It requires a bit of force on our side. Enough of smiling away with someone that you should be crying for in your closet and then going after them to say, Jesus is looking out for you. Jesus wants you to be a part of what he's doing. Glory be to God.
As we round off finally today, I want somebody here to repent from judging people. You need to repent. I don't know who I'm talking to, but you need to repent from judging people. When you have not taken judgment away from your heart for sinners, you cannot preach the gospel to them. I told a story in the first service how I was at a salon here, around Lekki here, about five years ago, to Bab. I love to go to salons to Bab. And a man, I met a man sitting down with his legs stretched, his hands stretched. There were two girls around him. One was doing the manicure, one was doing the pedicure. And the man was busy smiling. When I sat down, crossed my leg, and I was looking, in my heart, I started to judge him. I was like, what kind of man, what kind of man is this? And he has a wife at home. And see how the girls were touching him, and he was smiling. And uh, I was like, ah, this guy, this guy. You know, in my heart, I was just blabbing away. And we do it all the time. You see somebody with a tattoo. Before you even think about how the tattoo got there, you say, ah! What is this? You know? In some people's mind, anybody with a tattoo is going to hell. Who told you? It's the devil that's suggesting it to you. Some people like it. It doesn't make them evil. Am I saying the truth today? Yeah, I don't care what you think about Some people are still careful about answering me. It's a preference. Yeah. You know, I sat there judging this guy. By the time the barber came and he said, I should start barbing, this man finished and just walked up to me. I said, Pastor, good afternoon. I said, good afternoon, sir. He said, he asked the guy, has Pastor paid for his hair? He said, no. He said, I'm paying. He said, Pastor, I've been looking for you. I know you are the pastor of Elevation Church. We, we, we have this, I have this singles ministry that I do. I wanted to come and speak to the singles and bless them. I started pleading the blood of Jesus. I said, Lord, forgive me, oh sinner. Yeah. Because this guy that I judged, just because he's different from me, I'm a bushman. I don't do manicure. I mean, if not just until recently, when I started working with some people here, who started to teach me up a bit. You understand? Yeah. That's when I. St- I mean, the fact that people are different from you doesn't make them bad. By the way, I now do manicure. <laughs> because I repented from that day. That is not for sinners. Yeah. You know, when you have too much SU in your background, it affects some of the configuration. Yes. Somebody say exactly. Thank you. <laughs> Praise God. Tell your neighbor for me, don't judge people. especially in your heart. Lift your right hand to Jesus and receive grace. Receive grace to to, to touch sinners this week, to touch people who are different from you this week. Receive grace to see Christ in somebody's life who is far away from God and far away from Christ. Receive grace to be able to touch them this week. Receive grace to touch them this week. Receive grace to touch them this week. 
Father, we thank you for grace over this congregation. And we thank you for your blessing over everyone who has been a part of this message. Everyone watching online will receive grace over everyone. To be able to fulfill our kingdom mandate this week. That as we go out, you open our eyes. To see people in need of the gospel. People in need of the gift of righteousness. People in need of salvation. And that we will not hold back. We will not hold back. Help us to fulfill this mandate this week. Help us to fulfill this mandate this week. We thank you for a heart of repentance for everyone who has refused to fulfill the mandate. Use us this week and bless us as we go out. Make our path cross with someone who needs the gospel. Open our eyes to be able to see the need to speak to them. And as we open our mouth, fill it and let your name be glorified. Father, we thank you. Say with all eyes bowed and all eyes closed, can I pray for anyone in this service this morning who may be saying, Pastor, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and personal Savior. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to submit my life to Jesus. I want to, 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 to step out of guilt and condemnation. I want to walk with God. I want to seriously commit my life to God. Will you lift your right hand a bit above your head, wherever you may be sitting. Lift your right hand a bit above your head. Let me know that you're saying this prayer with me today. Maybe you've said the prayer before, but you backslid into sin. And you want to now rededicate your heart to Jesus. Do the same. Lift your right hand above your head. And let me know you're saying the prayer with me today. If you are online, join our chat room and let us know that you are giving your life to Jesus. If your hand is up, can you stand by your chair right there? Don't come out. Just stand by your chair right there. Just stand by your chair right there. And let's pray together. Quickly, stand, stand. Join the people standing and stand. Join the people standing and stand. Stand quickly. And let's pray together. Stand and let's pray together. If God is touching your heart, don't, don't stay back. Just stand. Just stand. It's just one decision for Jesus. And a follow through to start to grow. And your life will never remain the same again. If you're standing and wanted to say after me, say, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And I ask that you forgive me my sins. And that you cleanse me from every unrighteousness. I accept you today as my Lord and my personal Savior. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for the gift of righteousness. Fill my heart with your spirit from this moment forward and let your name be glorified in my life. Thank you for accepting me, Father. If you're standing, I want you to uh, just look to your left or right. The counselor is there. We, we, we want you to please follow them quickly and um, they will just spend about five minutes with you and you'll be back with us in the service. If you will, please quickly move. Carry whatever you brought to church.